directly with the coach man. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Good evening. And we have a very special guest. But before we get to our very special guest, we have a podcast for the week. And that podcast for the week is primed by Cortex. Yes, primed by Cortex with your host. JT and Kirby, and I didn't even confuse them this time, is your, uh, well, one-stop place for all things Cortex Prime. They talk news, announcements, creating stuff for the game, uh, stuff with the, um, I don't remember the name of the community content program for it now, but uh, they talk with different you know people active in that community, and they do some actual plays as well. Yes, yes. And you can find it all at pbcpod.podbean.com. Yes, and speaking of all kinds of cool things, we have Spivey back on to talk while being a creator. So welcome back. Thanks. I'm, I'm always glad to, to pop on a podcast and ramble on for a couple minutes while I drink. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Why do you think we do it? <laughs> I swear one of these days, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to snap. I'm going to start having like some serious drinks on the podcast and it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> it could probably be fine for the first 30 minutes when they yeah. finally start hitting you that it gets questionable yeah yeah i just want to say that following you and you know i'm on your darker hue discord as well and i want to know what your secret is that you manage to juggle life work all kinds of hobbies and still have time to write things what what demon did you make a, a pact with because uh i would like their number Mephisto, because it's the Marvel demon that never shows up, so I'm not worried about it ever taking my soul. Oh, good, good. Okay. <laughs> unless your unless your name is uh, uh, Aunt May. <laughs> uh, no, so I usually just don't sleep a lot. That's one of the things. Ever since the army, I sleep four to six hours a night. So I have extra hours in the day that other people don't have. Okay, I see you. I used to not sleep as much, but as I get older, my body seems to not be as happy if I don't sleep more. I'm doing a Merlin, so I'm sort of aging reverse. Every year I get younger, so I need less and less sleep. Ah, okay. At least that's what the alcohol tells me. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I also want to say congratulations because how many Ennies did you bring home this year from Gen Con? Oh, Haunted West won one Ennie, and it was a silver Ennie for its rules, which I'm really excited about. And then I won a gold Ennie with the Dune team for best writing. I'm actually excited about the Dune part. Because I, I rarely email companies saying, hey, please let me write on your project. It was Dune, and I love Dune. So I emailed them saying, hey, I heard this rumor that you're going to make Dune in a couple years. They emailed me back and said, hey, how did you find out about that? It's like, I cannot tell you my secrets, but I want to be on the team. <laughs> they let me know like maybe eight months later that they actually had all the contracts and everything in place. They asked me to join the team. So I think I wrote maybe 30,000 words of the Dune book. Oh, wow. So was Sam running that project, or did he have one of his other people running that? Initially, I was in contact with Sam, but then Andrew took over. It was great, because okay. I worked with Andrew a little bit from when I wrote for Doctor Who. And I, I met Andrew at Gen Con one year, and he was really nice. We haven't gotten a chance to speak with Sam, although we have spoken with Susie, who is the art director for his side company. I, I think it's Samantha now. I think Samantha has transitioned. I'm ah, okay. fairly certain... I'm going to cheat and just use Twitter. Uh, yes, uh, Samantha Webb and her okay. pronouns are she, her. Okay, so Samantha Webb then. I should have checked in on that before I opened my mouth. I'll make mistakes. Oh, in any case. So yeah, I mean, the last time we had you on, we talked uh, a little bit of Harlem Unbound and Haunted West, but this time we figured we just kind of more or less have a conversation, talk about whatever, you know, maybe learn a little bit more about, you know, you as a creator and, and kind of what drives you and what you're into. You know, again, from stuff I see on your darker hue discord, you're kind of like us in that you can be honest and tell them what happened. You you asked me if I wanted to be on the podcast and you said, hey, what do you want to talk about? I was like, I don't want to talk about anything but John and my own podcast 
the entire three hours that we're going to do this. And I'm going to run through different sci-fi shows I like in a slow, strategical order until I bore everyone listening into a catatonic state. Okay, look, I only have one problem with that. We have to conference Eddie in. Yeah. <laughs> if we could make this an unofficial episode of the Genreless podcast, I would be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I take it you're one of our four listeners. I, I, at least one of you are, hopefully. I appreciate that. I, I'm Both a little behind, but <laughs> I have very much enjoyed it. So what happened was I didn't realize that was you two. And then we had Eddie on, spoke with them, and I started listening to Genreless because I was like, well... I have to do this now because that sounds amazing. I, I was fortunate enough that one of the things is I come up with a lot of ideas, but I have a very finite amount of time, as you know, and hence the, the difficulty in scheduling even this this call for us tonight. And Eddie, unfortunately, is a buddy of mine. is like, Eddie, I've got this idea. He's like, all right, let, let's hear it. And I run through like a bunch of ideas. He's like, those all sound great. When do you want to do them? And I'm like, as soon as I find time. <laughs> so I was on the Onyx Pathcast when I was talking about... Um, Mask of the Mythos. That should be releasing soon for people that are interested. Look for Onyx Path. And he and I just seem to riff really well together. And I've wanted to do a podcast for a couple of years. And one of the shows I really love is I always loved Blake 7. And I wanted to talk about Blake 7. I didn't want to do an entire season on Blake 7 and get into minutiae of it. I just wanted to talk about the better parts of it. And I ran it past Eddie. And Eddie's like, that's a great idea. And we both love talking about TV and comics. And from that brainchild, it sort of spun into a podcast. We've gone yeah. from having no notes to Eddie having 20 pages of notes and me still having no notes. And me <laughs> making fun of Eddie, it is 20 pages of notes. So Eddie now has three pages of notes. <laughs> <laughs> See, we've actually tried making show notes for ourselves and we just get confused. Oh, geez. That was the worst three weeks of our life. <laughs> <laughs> that was right at the beginning. We're like, we got to make notes. We got to make sure that we're on point. Nope. Nope. Don't do nope. that. Nope. Unless you're that type of person. Like it, it's very distinctly like there's two type of podcasters. There's the people with notes and there's the people without notes. And you get those two people in the room and it makes for a really interesting podcast because one's really well researched and the other one's completely speaking out of their rear end. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's a matter of finding that right balance. So now, right. I think we're in our almost at the end of our second season. And we found our balance, which, mind you, when we start third season, we'll say we haven't found it. We'll do everything completely different again. But I feel confident in it right now. And we already know what third season is going to be. It's going to be redacted. And <laughs> I like that show. <laughs> it's my favorite show and writing topic. We've actually sort of planned out, I want to say, the next three seasons. So we're about five season plan. Nice. Very sweet. Yeah, I'm excited to hear that. I am a little bit behind myself just because. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If anybody ever tells you that starting your own business is hard, just look at them and say yes. <laughs> and act like they didn't say anything to you. <laughs> and then when you get to the point where you're starting your own business, you realize somebody once told me that this was hard. The, a small business owner, I understand. Yeah. Even more so as someone that was a small business owner in the TTRPG industry. I forgot that someone told me when I was first starting that if the fastest way to lose money is to start designing games with your own company <laughs> and they were right i would imagine so it's uh, something i've thought about a number of times and usually fortunately i don't have the attention span to stay with it long enough to find out uh -huh. well I, I do joke about it there is the benefit though that at the end of the day all the decisions that are made and whatever goes out is what you want it to be there's right. no one else that can stop you from doing whatever you want better or worse yeah and like I've said before, in fact, I think last week we were talking to Egg Embry and we mentioned, you know, Haunted West was so clearly just a passion project for you and the team that you used to put it together. And it really shows in the book. Like I, I have, well, my copy sitting right next to me and I have had it for a while. I haven't gotten all the way through it yet because I, I normally much prefer to read physical books. However, the actual physical size of Haunted West, I find it easier to read in PDF. It's a breezy, like, 806 pages. Oh, yeah, Well, I don't know what's taking you so long to read it. I myself can read it in an hour. Well, yes, but you wrote half of it, so you already know what it says. If you want to bring up technicalities, then yes, that is <laughs> technically correct. And, and the other thing that I will say, and, and this is, sounds probably a little weird, 
at points, it's a very dense, hard read, but I don't say that as a criticism because that's what makes it what it is. And that's why I bought it because that's what I expected. Mm-hmm. I would disagree. I don't think it's a hard read. I would say, I think it's a dense read that's presented in a conversational and educational way. The target towards fun and making it engaging. Fair. Maybe hard is, is the poor choice of words, but it is very dense. And like specifically the, the one part I remember getting bogged down in was some of the first nation history, just trying to keep everything straight. Think about how difficult it was to try to encapsulate some of the indigenous history that has frequently been overlooked and erased into a book that is and presented to people to be able to engage with and try to understand like the history that was here before all these other people came and tried to claim that these people weren't here before us. Right. Yeah. It's not something that can just easily be tossed off in a couple sentences. I had someone on Twitter complain that the book big and it's like, I like my books to be about 50 pages and there's no way you can encapsulate yeah, yeah. So Steve's are on camera, and I, of course, am not on camera because I didn't set up my camera yet in my office, and I rebuilt this entire <laughs> week with like seven monitors and all this other stuff. And I see their faces, and he looks shocked by the 50 pages. But someone says, I like my books to be like super light and crisp and just like 50 pages in and out, and I'm done. That's great. That's not what I'm making. You don't need to come tell me about that's what you I... That's disrespectful to the history that we're trying to present and my entire mission. Yeah, like it just, you, no, you, like, how do I want to say this? The elements of Haunted West that I have gotten through reading, I have not found anything that didn't need to be there, you know? And, and that's what I mean when I said, you know, it's, yeah, it's been parts of it are very dense, but that was what I expected. That was why I, I bought the game because that's the information that I wanted. And I guess I would just like to say thank you. <laughs> um, you're welcome. So you you think that it's it's dense now? I cut out 35 percent of the book to squeeze it down to a very tight, compact 806 pages. Wow. Yeah. I, I well, I know when you were on before, you mentioned you know the the volume of stuff that you purchased for research purposes was astounding for that as well. Yeah. It's and if I were to make a second edition sometime in the future. I would probably make it like a D&D box set with three books. And then I would charge D&D prices. That would be like 150 bucks for that for it. The reason that it is one book is I want it to be able to present something that was economically purchasable for people because growing up in Alabama, I didn't have much money. And if I bought a role-playing book, you needed to have everything in it I would need to run a game for a year, maybe three years. I would have to mm-hmm. like go and earn all this money to be able to purchase this book. And I've had the misfortune then of growing up and buying books that didn't have everything. It's like part one of six. It's like you. <laughs> and it was useless to me. And I had just lost all that money and I had this book that I couldn't use. Whenever I make games, one of my concepts as a designer almost from the very start is thinking about that kid like me growing up that doesn't have the money that can't give up to afford to buy one book. And I try to encompass everything I can into one book for someone. That's why all of my books are full of like plot hooks, ideas to help you generate your own things. I try to lay out mechanics in a way that you can use them. If you want to do your own house rules for your own home game, you can tweak them. I kind of explain some of the different concepts behind some of the design. It's layered. Even with Haunted West, you see it is a completely layered game with everything on top of it, enabling you to take off parts that you don't want to use for your home game, not have to use them. That is a conscious design choice from the start. Yeah, the condition segment in the uh, the main rules chapter, I think the header is something like, look, there's a lot of conditions here. Use the ones you want to. Ignore the ones you don't. And if folks don't like conditions, it just says make the, like double the damage for criticals. So you still have that same role if you want to include criticals. You still have an effect. You don't need to use this other part. Yeah. It, it, I know. I, like I said, I, I really like it. The rules, reading the rules, they it read crunchier than I think it's going to play when I finally get it to the table because I mean am, am I incorrect to say that this is at least partially like BRP based? You would be incorrect to say that. I would okay. Simply because it uses a D100 doesn't make it BRP. Like that's one of the things that personally bothers me. Is there a lot of systems that use a D100 and they're not BRP? Mm-hmm. No one like owns a die type. That's like saying if you use D20, you're D&D. Mm-hmm. 
So were, were there systems that were an inspiration? There were a couple different ones. Like actually funny enough, people always haven't really told a lot of people this, but I, D&D is one of the inspirations for the book because people, no matter what people say about Watsi, I'm not speaking about Watsi, I'm speaking about the game itself. There's some sort of like endorphin hit people get while they're playing D&D that makes them come back and want to play it. Part of my goal is to try to find out what that was and distill it out and fuse that into Haunted West. I've had people that are now running full-blown campaigns of Haunted West talking about it's the best game they've ever played. They keep playing it weekly. I know that I, I mean, I've captured all of it, but I've got like little essence of it that I infuse into the book. Mm-hmm. And I got feedback from them and I have tweaks to the rules that I'm going to make. And I may release an errata, may just update the rules for the next game that I put out that is redacted and have that be like the updated rules. Because the Obora system is the system for Doctor Who Studios. I wanted my own game system so I didn't have to go to someone else and license out or like pay them money to be able to make a game that I wanted. And I know that people love Powered by the Apocalypse. Me, Powered by the Apocalypse doesn't have that certain level of crunch that I want for some of the more complex ideas I want to present. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was a stretch goal for the Kickstarter. I wanted people to be able to play it like that if they wanted. And it let me hire uh, another designer to come in and create that part of the game. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you, based on, again, what I see you you know, posting that you're reading and whatnot, you probably tend toward crunchier games. At least by modern standards. <laughs> uh, it would depend on which crowd of people you're talking to. <laughs> well, let's put the last stack that you posted up, I own about half of. So, <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to sit down and suddenly like roll up a, uh, what was it, a generation hero from Champions. That is a little, that is a little too micro crunchy even for me. Like half mm-hmm. fractions and everything else to draw the line so but like i know you would post it up you know some some 2d20 couple different generations of our telsorian stuff uh, i forget what all else was in there looking at one ring i'm gonna be running my first game in person at home in three years since before covid i wanted to find the right game for my group for like a two maybe three shot because it's gonna be an outside game it has to be weather dependent if i need to like cram it down to one or two sessions i could do that all three so i was looking at fallout bringer ring cyberpunk vampire the masquerade and two or three others sort of narrowed it down to one ring fallout and something else then thought about it because i finished one ring i was like one ring seems like a fun game but i would need to run a campaign because it has this travel mechanic and like these fellowship mechanics i would want to play with which i won't be able to really do in two sessions then i stopped and i went back and i relooked through all of my games i narrowed it down to fallout you notice how that keeps coming back just because i love fallout Cyberpunk, The Witcher, and Stormbringer. And in the end, I went with The Witcher because it seems like a good, solid two-session game. And, has, and our Talosaurian has a lot of support for The Witcher and Cyberpunk, which I wanted that. And the fact that it's all pretty much free on their website. Yeah, I, I think our Talosaurian's in a really fantastic place right now from an outsider. I love their freaking games. I, I think mm-hmm. Cyberpunk Red's fantastic. And I know that I've been reading over The Witcher. I haven't, it hasn't, I haven't dedicated a ton of my time to it, but I know that from reading it, it's really good too. So yeah, I've read part of The Witcher, and I'm very intrigued. I haven't quite gotten to where like I I don't understand the magic system yet, but I haven't really read that much of it either. My brief overview, because I haven't done my full deep dive, it seems to be very elemental based, and mm-hmm. their mages can channel. They sort of have like they can channel magic, but they have a rating that determines how much magic they can channel per round. If they channel above that, they take damage. Well, I was going to say, I know the, the parts of, of The Witcher that I did read, it feels very brutal, which, I mean, admittedly fits the setting. And, well, it's not as if that's not something that's somewhat normal in Art Halsorian titles. <laughs> oh, the, the Witcher, if you enter combat, you enter combat like Batman. You come in with a plan, you've thought things through, and you're uber efficient, and you frequently win. If you catch Batman off guard, Batman is just a dude in a funny-looking suit. Some expensive toys. Fair. Yeah, I, The Witcher is one that I've, I've, man, it's, it's. I'm really curious about it, but fantasy is not my go-to genre, so I keep finding other shiny things I want to read instead. Not mine either. That's why it, this is a two-shot, and I'm running a fantasy game. <laughs> and I have a love-hate relationship with The Witcher, so I, I played the video games. And I've seen the TV series and I've read like one of the books and I have issues with a lot of the representation 
but the Witcher 3 is such an amazing game that it still inspires me to want to run and play in that world and maybe write like a little bit in it if I get asked to. Well, you've already got that connection now with with uh, Artel Sarian, so... I, I said I don't. I don't run out and ask other people. Other people have to come ask me. So I feel. I feel wanted. You, you caught me. That's my artistic <laughs> flaw. I want you to come and say that you want me to write on your project. Please, uh, please. Just say it out loud enough. People will come and tell you things. Yeah. Well, I've been going to email Jay Gray anyway to try and get him on the show. So you know. And Jay is a really great person too. Yeah, we have uh, another friend that we've talked to a couple times that considers Jay to be basically his mentor in the industry. And uh, said great things about him. I don't think you could probably find a better person. But, uh, and by the way, just in case listeners out there aren't aware of what we're speaking about with the connection, you have a distribution deal. Is that what it is through Artalosaurian for Haunted West? So Artalosaurian and Indie Press Revolution are both distributing Haunted West. I actually think Artalosaurian may have sold out or they're down to the last five books. People want to pick up Haunted West. I think uh, Indie Press Revolution has maybe 220 copies right now. So... I was going to say, did you send them the pallets that were left in your garage? <laughs> I remember seeing those pictures and you're all like, there's, you're pushing the pallet jack up the drive. <laughs> all right. So if, since you want to get into it, being a small business owner is incredibly hard. And one of the things that you have to do for Kickstarters, for me, when I make Kickstarters, I make projects I care about. Cause I know that when they go to Kickstarters, they will usually get funded. That sound is me knocking on a table for good luck. And they will, people will come out, look of support and love. My projects don't fund at like a hundred thousand or a million dollar level. I think they fund at maybe one bound funded, maybe like low thirties and West at low fifties. And so the amount of research and time and dedication it takes to make those books, I pay the people work on as much as I can. And then I try to get as high quality as possible from the printer that I can. And a lot of the quality of the book is exceptional, like rivaling larger publishers with buku millions of dollars, like my objective and goal. So that costs a lot of money. And you have to make concessions for that. Like, for instance, I didn't have anyone that I could send a book to. So they packed it and shipped it out and said, I have all the books delivered to myself. And I, and COVID, my friends who are my gaming group, who I would say, hey, I'll give you pizza and beer if you come and help me pack books. Come over like we were in college <laughs> and moving, moving furniture. Help me pack all the books. During COVID, West showed up, and so there was no one to pack the books except for me, and occasionally my wife, who would see me diligently stacking these, we'll say, seven-pound books and putting them in boxes, wrapping them, taping them for like a thousand copies. Come and help me a little bit. Then I would ship them out myself. And for the ones that weren't kickstarted, I had to find someone to distribute them, or I would sell them out of my own house. And selling them myself means I got to make more money and more profit, but it was a lot more work, and I would take space. Unfortunately, I have a house, so I have space to keep the books in. But it's better for me if other distributors were there because distributors can make deals with people like Walmart and game stores and everything else to have the books on shelves. But I, as a small business, have a harder time doing because I don't necessarily know lingo and the contract negotiation revolved, involved in that sort of discourse. And so our Talosaurian said, hey, do you like us to distribute your book? And it took me all of three seconds to say, yes. <laughs> let me ship these books out because I took them out of the garage because I didn't want, you know, weather and everything else because the garage moved them all upstairs to the second floor. I had to move them all back downstairs, repackage them to ship them out to our telesaurian. That's, that's a heavy book to be hauling up and down the stairs all the time. And I only did that. Especially many copies. Be like 800 copies. <laughs> <laughs> that's not counting the ones that I sent to Indy. It makes me glad I make soap for a living now. <laughs> Wait. Three bars of soap make one pound. <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to make a fight, make a fight club joke. Uh, I make better soap than Tyler Durden. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, what is your, what are you going to say, first love in RPGs then? You know, you mentioned, you know, you got into stuff early and I know sci-fi is very clearly a love, but what is your kind of go-to thing with rpgs if you have one i mean if i'm running a game yeah it's genre i guess more than than system obviously my genre would probably be sci-fi or superheroes or noir uh horror is actually sort of like my fourth tier choice maybe fifth okay like my cthulhu games when i run them are usually more investigative and noirish that sort of have like a mix of sherlock meets 
Um, you won't know that one. Sorry, that's that's like really obscure. Um, Buck meets Maltese Falcon. It's an undercurrent of horror. I believe like okay. the mythos when it's there, it should be present and it should sort of creep in, but then like sort of seep back out. And you only have like those dramatic moments of like high horror because then you get a chance to reset the board. You have all the other mm-hmm. emotions, everything else going. They have high horror. Makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, me and you have sort of the same opinion on on running sort of Call of Cthulhu then because I, I feel the same way. I think it should sort of be more investigation and then you stumble across something you shouldn't have seen and that's your bit of high horror and then we go back to investigation. So I completely know where you're coming from and agree with you there. <laughs> I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I agree. Especially for tabletop games because it's hard to portray that sometimes and get your table to jump. Exactly. And then if they if there's always constant horror, it's not horror anymore. It's just like the standard that's at the table and then it loses so much of like the reason that you're doing it. Right. Right. You become desensitized to it. And then it just becomes a normal thing. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. I think Ken Height describes it as the roller coaster, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I think maybe, I think for me, a horror game works better when it's, I don't know, sort of level ground, and then all of a sudden just drops. (laughs) I guess if Ken's going to go roller coasters, I I will get an amusement park ride and say bumper cars. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) There you go. Now, with sci fi, do you tend toward like horror? eh, Horror. Hard sci-fi or pulpy sci-fi or yes. Oh, on genreless, I keep plugging the genreless podcast plug. Um, I, I said my sci-fi preference. I am all about hard science fiction. Love it. Love like how you have to figure out all those widgets and how it can make a difference. Which is, of course, why we did space opera for our first season. Mm-hmm. It's just something about that that appeals to me. Because I know you're a fan of Traveler. I've, I've gathered that much. And Traveler is a game that I have yet to pick up and fiddle with because of Seth Sarkowski. I was uh, watching Seth's channel and Seth was talking about Traveler and he did like an entire series about it. And it was interesting enough and I wanted to run an online game and Traveler sort of like fit the niche that I was looking for. Uh, it has some problematic parts. Those were easily fixed if you have an eye towards what the issues are. Okay. Yeah, I, I all I know about it is I think it's a, isn't it a D100 based game? Uh, it's 2D6. It's the version I played. There, I think there have been seven versions of Traveler. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's been a lot. Yeah, I know. Technically, there's also been a D20 Call of Cthulhu. Well, yes, but I don't speak about that. A shelf. <laughs> I don't know. It, there's something with, and, and, and I will admit, I, I fall into a little bit of that trap that you were talking about earlier, where when you say D20, I think D&D, and the statistical construct for D&D to me doesn't work well for Call of Cthulhu. But that's my opinion and I could very well be wrong. Well, it's your opinion. Your opinion can't be wrong because it is your opinion. Like, facts may disagree in reality with you, but your opinion itself is not wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, the fact... But like, yeah, no, you're right though because like there's other games, I don't know if you ever encountered um, a guy out of Britain, I don't remember his name. The his publishing imprint is Fire Ruby Designs. That actually took and made it's almost a like a second edition Warhammer. I don't want to call it knockoff because Mage. that's kind of yeah. But he converted it to D twenty, but not in the way you normally think of. It's called um, Warlock. Is the the uh, the medieval fantasy one. And he has a sci-fi one called Warp Star, which I don't know as much about. But the way he did it was he basically, it it's still a D1, uh, a percentile D100 system, except you roll on a D20 because the system is based around the premise that your target number is always 20. And so you roll a die, add your bonuses and try to get 20 as opposed to trying to beat a a floating target number. That's, that's a solid choice. But he... He admittedly said it was a way, like, he had friends who, like, he really wanted to play, like, the enemy within with, but they didn't want to learn the Warhammer rules. So he's like, well, can I make something that is beer and pretzels capable, or, you know, compatible, but can still do all this other stuff? And so that's what he came up with. It's actually a really neat little system. I have a a PDF of it, but it's, it's, it's... yeah. One of these days I need, again, it's fantasy, so it, it keeps falling down the list. But 
I've got a couple of like free Warhammer adventures that I found that I keep meaning to uh, kind of slice open and, and test it with. I have to look it up then. Yeah, it's it's relatively cheap. I want to say it's like 10 bucks for the PDF if it's not on sale. Although some people do, although I think he fixed it in one of the newer editions, he intentionally used the same font that they used in the old Warhammer books. And some people find it really obnoxious to try and read. Well, that's one of the reasons why you should definitely have your backers or a group of people always do sort of a playtest version, but a, a reader review of your content before you release it. That feedback is incredibly helpful. Like I know for Haunted West, I did that and I made some distinctive changes that I thought originally had some, I think some things were super cool and stylistically, but folks had some issues with it and they brought up solid points and I said, oh, all right. You go back and let me tweak some of this stuff, sort of address those issues. And like, that was unbelievably helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah. Well, like I said, I know he intentionally used the font he did. Although, like I said, I don't know if it's, it's maybe a, like an alternate version that he's now made in a, in a more normal font. It didn't bother me to read, but some people have grumbled about it. Oh, it's, a, it's also a matter of accessibility issues because there are some fonts and backgrounds that are not representative of that and that's important to address so i would always stress people have sensitivity readers and they take all these things into account unbelievably important yeah we've seen some stuff recently that makes you wonder if some big names do that like they should i will neither comment on that other than saying they have a lot of money that they could afford people my point exactly i also <laughs> want to bring up that if you hire these people is in on you as the designer, company, and owner, listen to their input and make the appropriate changes to your product. I could hire everyone in the world, but if I don't listen to them, what I'm doing is trying to use their name as a shield. I'm not saying a company mm-hmm. did that, but that is a concern I know that sensitivity readers and other consultants have. One of the reasons why I myself very rarely ever do any sort of sensitivity reading. No, and that's a shame, really, because like I don't like okay, I mean, I am the classic picture of the grognard gamer, right? I'm mid forties. I have a beard, you know, et cetera. Right. But I don't understand the, like, do I want to play the, you know, flowery tiefling, whatever D and D that is very in vogue with certain parts of the community right now? No, I don't. It's, it's not appealing to me, but I don't have a problem with those people wanting to play it. I just don't want to play it much as they probably don't want to play something gritty and grimy and difficult. Like I might like to play. And I, to me, that's a strength of, of the hobby of the community, if you will, is that there is that much diversity and variety. And I don't understand people who are scared of it. I stand by what I've said for a long time now. My my goal in this community is to make it a more inclusive place. And anything I can do to do that is a positive change. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't get it. I don't understand why we can't just be like, hey, you know, just because that's not how you want to play doesn't mean it's wrong. I don't get it. I, I, Something else I've commented on before, that it's not either or. It's all, it should be and. Yes. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. The fact that there are people that want to play a certain way you may not want to play doesn't stop you and your group from playing that way. Right. Completely agree with you. <laughs> like yes. beyond completely agree with you. No, I, yeah. But at the same time, a lot of these people get a sort of endorphin hit from being able to make a lot of negative comments on social media and have people like them and feel like they've done something great. It makes them feel great about themselves while they're bringing someone else down. It is, it is easier to drag something and destroy it than it is to create something and try to protect it. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the reasons, in all honesty, I observe a fair amount on social media. I don't actively participate a lot just because, man, I don't, I don't have the energy for all the, the negativity that comes up in so much of it. I've said it before, and I think I might have said it to you, but it is, onus is on you Grognarg or non-grognarg, go out and do these things on social media and try to sway some of the negative comments. Like you may not have the energy for it. Think about those people that are being targeted by it constantly, every day, multiple times. Be like an army of trolls attacking someone, constantly trying to bring them down, and that runs that person off. You know, I was talking to publishers yesterday about crediting someone 
is no longer in the industry because they were constantly attacked by trolls. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, though, I'm never attacked by trolls. Like, no one ever emails me or sends me negative commentary. <laughs> it's like all all roses and sunshine and whiskey. <laughs> yeah, there was that thread you posted on your Discord. Uh, was that last week? Oh, two days ago, I think. <laughs> two days ago. I, I just remember seeing it and going, like, who has nothing better to do with their time than to write this crap? You know, and then to see you kind of go, look at this. I find this funny is like, you know, so to speak, taking it back in a way. I'm, I'm targeted a lot and can either find a way to let it wash off of you. And occasionally I post something about that. I, what I'm going through, I do it rarely. There's a good chunk that keeps happening. Just give people like a glimpse into the, like my world that I'm dealing with creating things. And I'm creating stuff that is based off of history and providing you historical context, reference points. If you want to say I'm wrong, and do the reading and come back to me and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, just taking in like the lies that you've been told, propagating hate and dishonesty. Like all the writing teams, the constant thing I tell them is that whatever we're presenting, we need to be able to back up our facts with historical accuracy and information. Like that is our shield against racism and hate, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I guess, you know, like, for lack of a better way to say it, I I understand what you're saying, but I don't have really a frame of reference for it other than to say that, well, yeah, if you've got facts on your side, that's, I guess, the best you can do. I don't know. That's also why you see I frequently rally, uh, rally against people trying to stop education in schools, trying to like change textbooks mm-hmm. that students are learning. Because if they can change history, then people no longer have context for the actual story and they're forced to digest what they're given. I think it was in Texas where they changed right. all of their history books. They were no longer enslaved people. They were unpaid workers. <laughs> this is from three, four years ago. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And they were happy. Like, this is the history they want to feed people. And then you lose what actually happened. They've tricked you. And now they've sort of moved you into a more and more subservient space because you don't have facts and information to know what you need to do to try to fight against it. Yeah, that I, like you know, history has some elements of it that are bad and unpleasant, and no, you don't want to glorify them, but to sweep them under the rug and try and make them prettier than they were doesn't do anyone any good. Well, other than maybe make people who revere dead people feel better about the people they revere. I don't know. It it helps people that benefiting off of marginalized people yep and yeah no history is uncomfortable and that's just a statement that has to exist and trying to hide that fact is disgusting and i don't know capitalist because you're right it's people trying to trying to capitalize off of marginalized people and trying to capitalize off of people's emotions rather than facts (laughs) okay i'm glad I, i made your show a very uplifting energetic and funny sort of uh (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I that's I love having you on because this conversation needs to be had, especially in the gaming space, because I think it's a it's an important conversation and and yeah, I I love having you on for that because you are one of the you know you are as you know you're one of the big advocates for fact and history and and holding people accountable and all of that. I try to do my bit to help to help out as much as I can. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, honestly. Following yeah. you on Twitter is is great. Following you on on Discord, being part of the Darker Hue Discord is fantastic. And all the conversations, well, most of the conversations that happen there are great. It's rare that I have to like say something. Although I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, I had to ask people to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was yeah that. But I think that discussion though, and I even mentioned it in that discussion that from my perspective, being able to be there and read those discussions helps me to understand a lot more other perspectives. And I think that's valuable too, because, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Like I said, it builds empathy. Yeah. And I know we didn't intend to get heavy, but I, you know, like, like Steve said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we can have these discussions, even if it wasn't what we intended, because like he said, it's stuff that needs to get out there and get heard. So let's go somewhere 
lighter. If well, let's ask. Let's ask this. Yeah, let's let's move <laughs> to a little lighter topic, if you don't mind, Chris. Whatever you guys want. I I told you I am just hanging out and drinking. Yeah. Let me ask you just to just to lighten the room a little bit. What's your cocktail of choice when you're going to write? When you're sitting down and starting to do some research, I know you're pouring yourself a drink. Are you going for the straight, or are you going? You mixing yourself a nice cocktail, or what's what does research your evening look like? Research <laughs> is frequently water, sir, or Gatorade. Okay, All right, fair. Stuff that I'm researching is not easy to find. So fortunately for me, I'm an analyst. Was one of my my skill sets from a previous job. It takes a lot of work to try to find those things. And while I do, I, I love me some stouts and I love me some skis and bourbons, scotch. Those are not necessarily the best facilitators for in-depth online searching for historical accuracy and facts. True, true, very true. But once I found those and I've like read them, have them in my brain, I will frequently pour like a bourbon or a scotch because that's a slow sipping thing while I'm sort of like, Mm-hmm. leading the page with thoughts and ideas i get into heavy writing if i'm drinking anything that's alcoholic it's frequently like a beer because a beer okay. has like that nice mellow feel to it and it helps me sort of like move between different ideas tell you guys before we got started i rebuilt my office and now have like five monitors and i have one <laughs> monitor for writing and the other ones have like historical references or like reference points that i want to bring up spread all throughout so instead of post-its that's how a rational, normal person would have. I have monitors with all those notes on them. <laughs> hey, you know, if it works, it works. I can't imagine my attention span working that well with that many screens, but that's me. Well, the reason I also can do so much is I, I'm a good planner, so I'm usually good at organizing my time. I need to do things and then executing. I think that's a space where I really fall short is, is planning, and I know I'm bad about efficiently using my time that that comes with the with the fun disease we both live with steve (laughs) (laughs) oh well i can't be with like the day job the family the writing like the company and then having to do like all the internal stuff too and occasionally going out into the world and like doing things like a a person (laughs) yes yes like i said i you know and i and i mean it is you know a high compliment but i i look at what you managed to juggle and go, I wish I could do half of that. I appreciate that because a lot of people think Darker Hue is a company. Darker Hue is me and occasionally a few people that I guilt or feel bad for me from all the stuff I'm doing and like offered help out a little bit. <laughs> so I know, I know you've told us that you're working on redacted. Um, do you have another big project in the works? All redacted is awesome. It, it is, is all about redacted. It's like redacted number of pages. Oh, and the people that are working on it. I, I mean, like redacted and redacted and redacted are making incredible <laughs> strokes of redacted. <laughs> making Haunted West told me that I talked about something I was doing way too soon. And my, my next goal for whenever I do something, whatever it is, whenever I decide to do it, I will not talk about it until like it's on Kickstarter. And I was like, hey, I just put some on Kickstarter. Maybe consider backing it. I think sometimes, though, that's the best. That's the best, even as a consumer. Like, I hate it when somebody talks about a project and it's, and I, I did it, but I hate it when somebody talks about a project and it's like, I'm going to do this. And then it's like three years later. Hey, remember when I said I was going to do that thing? I think a lot of people forget that for Haunted West, I started talking about it, like I want to say in April. And then we did the Kickstarter in October. And the day that we did the Kickstarter, about three hours later, is when the Kickstarter union strike happened. So that, of course, was a great time to sort of navigate through. Regardless of the Kickstarter union, Kickstarter union saying, hey, back people's projects, because if you don't, that hurts us. I got dozens of emails saying, hey, there's a Kickstarter strike on. I'm not going to back your project. And then the Kickstarter ended. And when it ended, I want to say COVID hit in February of, that, of the next year. And we ended in like November. The entire book and the entire process happened from strike through the entire course of covid and like dealing with that trauma and people losing family members i lost some people that were important to me i had to write a historically accurate book about the old west and dealing with the tragedies that were done there i have people that flaked on the book just because someone sent me like a thousand word piece saying i don't think your book is possible to talk about the american west that was a that was a writer <laughs> great i'm glad you waited to your four months past your deadline 
then to like put the book out. So it was doesn't even go into the fact that the printer misprinted the book after I sent them out to backers. Check some of the books. The ones I checked were fine, but there's like thousands of books, so it's hard to get through all of them. Uh, then I had someone say, "Hey, my book is missing pages nine through twenty-four." Well, that's yeah. My initial copy was one of those, and I sent someone a replacement copy. I got a couple more of those. And I did, and then I did a full search through all the books. I sent the printer these this number of books are messed up. I need to do a reprint. And then I was in a fight with the printer to have a reprint done because they didn't want to do a reprint of the books. This paper is expensive, and this is after cost of the books continue to escalate during covid because of paper shortages being issues and it like tripled to five times the cost of the initial price of the book print they sent some replacement books and then i had to like go through all those books ship those out to people and it's a lot at least during covid and we're still in covid regardless of what the government's telling you still in a pandemic yeah it's been challenge after challenge for you with that so um hey happy topic yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Let's go uh, back a little lighter then. Well, no, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. There are other people that want to publish books. I want them to understand how difficult it is. Like it is rewarding when I read a review of the book from someone that loves it, but it is a challenge to get from point A to point Z. There are lots of obstacles, and I always say if you're going to do it, know that you want to do it because at 3 a.m. in the morning when you're working on a book and you have to start your day job in three hours, there's no one there but you, and you have to love what you're working on know that what you're doing is important because it's not the money like fifty thousand dollars eh, that to pay writers for that to pay like five times the cost of a printing for shipping doesn't make it worthwhile it's a fact that i think the subject matter is important people need to see it that's what kept me going and i want to change the industry and the environment for gaming to make it more inclusive and better because i want my daughter to game i don't want my daughter to endure what i had to endure the fact that i had someone at my house for a game i was running only the n-word and then looked Set when I kicked him out of my house. <laughs> she doesn't need to deal with that. No, no. I, yeah, I, no. I. You didn't want to go here, but we're here, and well, no. Anyway. I, how how did you get into gaming? Because I can say from my experience gaming on and off for know, close to thirty years now, I have not gamed with very many people of color. You know, minority. However you know, whatever the appropriate term would be over the years. You know what? Every single game I've gamed with has always been with a person of color. See, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. You want to say it, but I know you don't want to say it. I made it awkward just to make it awkward to see what you would do. He's stroking his beard. He's kind of smiling. Well, I mean... I'm at the table. Come are on. you including yourself? Yes, I'm at the is... table. Come on. <laughs> well, that's what I, I thought you were implying, but I didn't want to automatically go for the low-hanging fruit. We were being very heavy. I thought I'd give you an easy out as a joke. So, <laughs> but no, like, I, I, you know, like, in my experience, the community has been very Caucasian heavy, if you want to call it that. And I know that that may just be a product of where and when and the people that I connected with the game, but a lot of gaming environments and tables aren't safe. For a lot of people. And then it's a lot of emotional labor for people that don't fall in that category to decide they want to play. They have to decide they want to play. They have to then, I will say, if you have 100 people, and those 100 people, they need to decide they want to play, you might lose 30 of those people. So we're down to 70. Then you have those people that say, all right, I want to play. I want to do it. I want to get out there. Those 70 people then have to go and find a group. Urgh, that's already hard right there. You're down to 35 people. All those 35 people need to go out. And they found a group. They need to find a group that they gel with and that gels with them. And that is not racist, sexist, homophobic, bigoted. Now you're down to 15 people. So those 15 people that you're down to in our, our pool here that we're doing, you may now get to engage with. But now those other 85 people, they decide to game, but they may be fortunate enough to be able to find each other and game with each other and not have to deal with the additional emotional labor involved in being in these other groups are frequently filled with isms that they have to then like navigate mm -hmm. is like the most baseline level of way I could possibly explain it. I'm not saying that it is more white focused. I'm saying the games that were generated for a long time aimed more at a white demographic than discriminate against other people from wanting to play. But those people still played, but they may have been fortunate enough to find other groups that didn't subject them to isms that they got to play with. Mm -hmm. That's just like my, I take with like three drinks in. Mm -hmm. 
So how did you initially get into gaming? You know, you mentioned you grew up in Alabama. Uh, at six, me and my buddy Jay walked all the way across town by ourselves because, you know, that's what you let two six-year-olds do. I went to a gaming store and I bought the red box set. I came back and Jay and I rolled up characters that didn't look at all like us. Uh, my first character was an elf named Talon because, you know, talent, talent, cool. And that's how it started. I quickly lost interest in fantasy. I was, like I said, I didn't know, you know, I know you've, you've said on genres a lot that yeah, I think you said it was your grandmother that really got you into sci-fi. Sort of, because she watched Star Galactica with Lauren Green. A little bit of a crush mm -hmm. on Lauren Green. <laughs> and so, like, that started it, but then I discovered Doctor Who, and I watched Buck Rogers and all those other shows. So that really sort of, like, cemented me in sci-fi, because also in sci-fi, I saw people that looked like me. They might have been doing, like, the best things, but they were there. All the fantasy stuff I saw, I did not see anyone that looked like me. Yeah, I, I guess for me, that's not something I can relate to. And it's hard to conceptualize what that feels like without the experience. I think, with all due respect, I think it's time for Game of the Week. Yeah, it probably is. We're that time frame. And we can ramble on about that and go off on three tangents, because that's what we do. Game of the Week! Game of the Week! All right, so uh, who's going first? I can, I can go first. Okay, you go first. Um, I'm sort of a sucker for... 80s like era imagery i guess you could say miami okay. vice right like that type of like neon and and teal and all those you know the ferraris the lamborghinis all that fun stuff mm -hmm. i found a game called uh lighthearted um by kurt and katie potts gallant night games is publishing it and it's welcome to the magical 80s dream world of lighthearted you're a prep, jock, geek, rebel, or outcast like the kids in Breakfast Club, except you are just about to start a magic community college. Um, yeah, so through play, we'll explore how you grow out of high school cliques while dealing with magical mishaps, college parties, vampires, or worse, finals. Looks lighthearted. It, it, you know, it seems really neat. Um, sort of like a, I don't know how to put it. Like the artwork almost seems like a, 90210 vice like <laughs> if but yeah it's all of twenty dollars for the pdf on drive through rpg so it's definitely something to check out cool yeah, that does sound a bit interesting yeah all right well would you like to go yet chris or would you like me to go your guest i i, I want to go last because i'm i'm figuring out how everything works i'm listening to your brilliance and and absorbing all right well i'm gonna go and Again, completely inadvertently to the same publisher that you did, Steve. Oh. <laughs> and um, mention a game called Tiny Wastelands, which is the apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic version of the Tiny D6 engine. So, you know, it's a, I think it's a fairly light, somewhat universal system. You know, D6s says uh, characters fit on a three by five note card and appears to be a toolkit for playing pretty much any sort of post-apocalyptic wasteland type thing you'd want to do. You know, the book features micro settings by a whole bunch of different people. Um, you know, big team of writers and PDF is all of a dollar 80 right now. I think it's on some sort of sale. Yes. It's on sale for this month. So, uh, yeah, at a, at a buck 80, I think I might get this PDF just to have it because post-apocalyptic is fun. This is my turn. Um, I'm going to go with, with some, some buddies of mine because I want them their game that no one plays or talks about enough for my taste to get a little bit of love. I'm going to go with Godlike by uh, Arc Dream. It's one of my favorite games. I bought my first copy of it in Alabama. Alabama. Uh, and it's a game of superpowers in World War II. There's no bright spandex. No bright spandex. There's none of that nonsense. You're, you're great, but the war is greater and you're fighting in world war ii with superpowers and your superpowers may be amazing and everything else but it's based on your own will and it's really focused on the on history and they sort of create an alternate timeline for history because of the superpowers it's all really interesting and it's a, an amazing game not enough people play that i've run at gen con i cannot get my local group to play because they go squish even if they have superpowers i've been so curious about that for a long time that uses stoltz's one roll engine doesn't it mm -hmm. yeah i've been Oh, that that's been on my list for a while, and it's just like 
I, I know it's one of those games that if I want to play it, I'm going to have to run it. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little hesitant to run supers because I don't have the background in supers that most people in the gaming community do. Don't need it. It's more of a war game than it is a super game. It's like a war game that has superpowers added in. Okay. And the superpowers are different. It's more will-focused. But it's less like uh, Superman fighting Darkseid. The more imagine you, you have super strength and everything else. If you lose all your will, superpowers stop working. Colossus lifting a tank, loses all of his will, crushed by the tank. I want to say we had somebody bring this up a while back. And I remember them saying that they discovered quickly that flight is a power you don't want to have in that game because it makes you a target. You have flight. You're awesome. And you're flying around really fast. And then you're being attacked by planes. You're being attacked by tanks. You're being attacked by people on the ground. You don't have any vulnerability. You have flight. Yeah. That, that, and now what wild talents is the more modern day version of that, isn't it? I think so. Wild talents has more of a focus on like supers fighting supers. I, I think you need more of a superhero background. In. Okay. All right, I need to spend more money at Arc Dream. <laughs> it's, you act like it's a problem. Look, it's only a problem because I only have so much money to spend, and there's so many directions I want to spend it in. Well, that's that's another. I don't problem. know if they still do it, but that's, in the old that's... days, if you ran games with them at Gen Con, they would give you Gen Con bucks that you could then spend the Arc Dream boot. <laughs> oh man! Then I have to go to Gen Con. We don't talk about the Gen Con bucks. <laughs> I went to Gen Con this year. I know you did. How was that? Um, I think it's my last Gen Con. Like before I went, like in 2012 or 2011 was my first time ever going. And I really wanted to go. I was excited. And I enjoyed going every year. But then like COVID and I didn't go for a couple of years. And now going back, I'm not going for a couple of years. I'm okay not going anymore. Yeah, I'm actually going to my, what'll be my first convention here in eh, a little over two weeks. I recommend Darth Vader mask. It looks silly, but it is super effective. I came home, fortunately, unaffected by anything. Con crud, I did not get COVID or anything else. Have to consider the, I saw the, the pictures you put up that actually looked like a, almost like a industrial respirator. It was a, I think it was a P100. I only really wore it in the airport, a plane, and in the dealer hall. Because those were mass conglomerations of people that primarily aren't wearing masks. Dealer hall, there were so many people that are like almost right on top of you. I did not feel comfortable going in with any other mask less than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, the one we're, we're going to, it's a little, very grassroots little local thing, you know, not supposed to be all, all that many people. So that's, you know, a plus plus I just, I'm not all that comfortable in crowds. I never have been. So I'm, I'm a little scared of Gen Con just from the crowd factor. It was, that was the first event I went to with that many people since before COVID started. Well, I'm saying just in general, you know, even without COVID on top of it, but I think some of that because one, I grew up in a very rural area. <laughs> and so like, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I joke about it, but to this day, the County that I grew up in only has three, you know, red, yellow, green stoplights. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like when you talk about a crowd, you know, traffic, there is five people lined up at the red light, you know, now where I live, that five people is, where is everybody? You know? <laughs> but you know that, and then, um, I'm functionally blind in one eye and I'm a larger person. And so I'm very self-conscious about running into people on my blind side. And so that also makes me uncomfortable in crowds. I just, yeah, I used to attend a con every year. It was an anime convention and I have no interest in going back. I'm going to go to this con in October. It's going to be the first one I've been to in probably, well, since before COVID. And, uh, yeah. I just have no interest in cons anymore. I'm kind of like you. I'm just like, yeah, I can get everything I'd like online. Um, you probably already know this, but don't be afraid to just go to your room and chill out. Like I did that a lot. If you're not used to being around that many people. Yeah. Well, I'll have a hotel room, Steve. You could come hang out at mine. <laughs> I'll just go hide in my car. Fair. Strategy I use for dealing with people at work. <laughs> people frequently feel obligated to keep, to just stay out there, even if they feel that they need time, a little time to themselves. That is, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the wrong mentality to have. If you need a little time, just take a break and then come back. I absolutely am a big fan of that mid-con nap. <laughs> <laughs> I have done that way too many times where me and my friends will be at the convention. And it'll be like midday on Saturday. There's nothing else going on. I'll look at my friends. I'll be like, I'm going back to my hotel room. I'll see you in a couple hours. Just take a big old mid-con nap. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, 
thank you so much for coming back on our podcast. Thanks for letting me just drink and ramble. Hey, anytime you feel like it, if you just are like, man, I'm bored. Wonder what the Steves are up to. (laughs) And you want to come drink and ramble. You're welcome to it. Yeah. Maybe do a game design theory, more (laughs) focused ramble sometime. Cause I know you've got thoughts. I've, I've, I've heard your, some of your, your ramblings and that could be fun. I'll keep that in mind. So I'll ask you this now. I know we've, we've plugged genreless endlessly because it's a great podcast. Uh, Darker Hue, you have the Discord. The website is, what is it, darkerhue.com or is it darkerhue.net? Studios.com. Darkerhue, okay. Where else can you and your stuff be found if people want to check out more of it? Uh, you're discerning friendly local game stores that would already have a copy of Haunted West and Harlem Bounds. You can find me at darker underscore hue on Twitter. If you want, you can try to join the Haunted West Facebook group. I don't know why you would. I, I myself am a member. I post once every six months. Otherwise, you can find the books at Our Telesorn Games, The Press Revolution, Diosium, Drive Through, and my own website. Or if you're really, really lucky, you can find me with a book somewhere running a game. There you go. Yeah. I know. I ordered my book directly from you through your website. Now they all come from uh, Any Press Revolution. Aha. I purchased my copy on Drive Through. I have the PDF. I guess as a side note, there will unlikely ever be on-demand versions from DriveThru because the size of the book dwarfs the size of the book that Steve has. It's a different type of paper and everything else. It makes the book maybe 15% larger, maybe 20. Ooh, wow. Yeah, see now, and like I I don't have it handy. I had a picture at one point because they actually arrived at my house within a couple days of each other of my copy of Haunted West sitting next to the box set for Twilight 2000 from Free League. And there's mm, an eighth of an inch difference in overall thickness. I did a test. I'm tangenting before we wrap up. Uh, I did a I did a test run of a uh, demand from drive through compared to the book. And the paper and everything they use makes the book a lot larger. And that is not what I wanted to do. And I don't think people could actually handle the size of that book. <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, you know, for me, as much as I prefer reading physical books, like just the size of it, unless I've got it where I can set it on a table and read it that way, I'm actually a little scared of damaging it by not holding it straight if I try to read it like sitting on a couch. And that may be me just being paranoid. But myself, and I, don't, I haven't heard anyone else with that issue, but I, I, I respect your, your dedication. So I read it on the PDF on the computer. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. And as always, we'll have links to everything in the show notes, including, but not limited to, Haunted West and Harlem Unbound, both fantastic games. If you haven't picked up Dune, I'll just pick up Dune. Dune is a great read. Yes. Dune is a fantastic game. I'm so glad that you worked on that. <laughs> but uh, hold on a second. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably go check out Fallout and from Samantha Webb and the other cool folks in Modifius. Uh, they've also have a new Star Trek game. Uh, it's the old Star Trek game, but I almost ran Star Trek. I'm just like riffing until the other Steve comes back. I could do like another 20 minutes by myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, just while you're on that subject, Samantha oh. Webb's other project, uh, Black Cats Gaming, should have, I believe, they're looking at the end of this year to deliver um, Cursed Captains of Cthulhu, which I backed. So I'm excited to get that. And I, I have to, of course, pitch and promote. Telesaurian, Cyberpunk, and The Witcher. Steve, you're back. I could keep just promoting stuff all day. Yeah, I sorry. Dog was is losing his mind. Uh, this commercial break brought to you by Steve's dog. Yeah. Anyways, as always, links to everything are in the show notes. We want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.
Sorry, I, I have a kid. I, I'm really sorry. I'll be right back. No problem. Okay, you're fine. Play some waiting music. Nice elevator music while we wait. Steve, I just looked at the picture that you sent me. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture, Steve? Well, one, the two pieces that they're grafting together aren't even the same size. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. And secondly, who in their <laughs> wrong mind would use brake sh- shoes? Brake pads. As Yeah, brake pads as structural members. <laughs> it was a night-night time for a certain eight, almost nine-year-old. You're fine. I just confused Steve with an image I sent him. <laughs> I sent him an image. Uh, uh, a friend of mine sent me on Facebook of um, somebody had taken two brake pads and welded their frame back together with them. What? And the, Those are two different frames, though. Yes, they're two different size of frame rail that they had taken brake pads and welded to to use as bracing. Uh, I love I love the internet. Some days it it provides me with so much laughter. I'm sorry, that hurts. <laughs> I don't even know where we were. <sighs> I'm not sure either, but uh, I think, with all due respect, I think it's time for game of the week. Thank you again so much yes, for coming back you. on. It's awesome. Every time we get a chance to talk to you. I rambled a little bit longer because I know we had a little bit of late start because of, I'll, I'll say my technical issues. Um, No, you're fine. You're, honestly, it's fine. It was Discord. It wasn't playing nice. I don't know what it was going on. It's still not playing nice because I everything I hear is robotic. So, but uh, <laughs> talking to y'all. I'll catch you later.